You are about to receive messages that may be harmful to your mental state. Your sense of reality will be questioned. Your view on things will be altered. You are now part of the Meta. The Meta controls everything. The Meta determines what will and will not happen. You are watching the Meta Show. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Meta Show. It's Saturday, so it's the Meta Show. I uh, wanted to uh, say thank you to everybody for joining us, and I'm joined as always by the inestimable Matani. Oh God, I'm inestimable. Well, that means I'm like a floating point variable or something. I, I'm very confused and surprised, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Welcome everybody. Brisk, what are we? Uh, what are we doing today? What's going on? I hear we have uh, some important people have deigned to grace us with the presence, and we're going to hopefully ask them. We do. We have today. We're going to be joined later in the show by CCP Rise and CCP Larrikin. Uh, but before that, and more importantly, uh, I wanted to give a shout out to our current charity. INN is doing a charity stream this entire weekend, 24 hours of the of the Imperium News Network. We are doing the charity to benefit Gamers Outreach. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, Gamers Outreach is a charity that provides access to what they call go-karts, Gamers Outreach go-karts, of uh, video games for kids who are stuck in hospitals. And as, as a way of, of helping them to cope and, and, and some therapy for them while they're in the hospital. Our goal on INN today is to raise $1,000. As you can see, we are very, very close to hitting that $1,000 mark. And I will tell you right now, if the Meta Show watchers, if you guys can't get us over 1000 by the end of the show, I'm going to be very disappointed. And I have just chipped in my own donation of 250 to get us started. So I'd like to see the rest of you open up your wallets and let's uh, let's give some money to help these kids. Let them play some games with us. Gamers Outreach, their their motto is "Let's help others level up." That's what we want to do on the show today. So and, thank uh, you for that. You don't want to disappoint Brisk either because he'll do the disappointed father look and probably purse his lips together and 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 look sad at you or sad on your behalf, and then you'll feel very bad. So let's make sure that uh, we don't disappoint him. And with that, let's get started with today's show. We've got two stops, top stories today. The first of them is going to be, obviously, the November update to EVE Online. Now, for many of you, you've saw the patch notes, and I won't pull them up on the screen because if you haven't seen the patch notes yet, uh, me doing that is not going to help you. But this, this patch note was pretty significant and for some major changes to the meta. I'm going to talk about that a little bit, and then the Matani is going to talk about his top story of the week, which is uh, conflict drivers. So let me take this away. For those of you who saw... Patch notes on Tuesday. The biggest change to the game probably in the last two or three months has been the reduction and the change to chain bushing. Essentially, for those of you who are not aware, which should not be anybody watching this show, because if you've been playing EVE at least for the last six months or more than that, you have probably been in either a Stuka fleet, a Snatch fleet, or you've had one of those types of fleets used against you. These were one of the primary ways of moving ships around a grid, especially under a super cap umbrella, where you use a micro jump field generator to jump a fleet 100 kilometers in any direction at a time. They were very effective for whaling, very effective for capital uh, escalations and trying to keep subcaps on grid, very effective for doing a lot of certain, a lot of fleet fights in EVE. And I know that from a personal standpoint because I spent a lot of time on those fleets with the initiative. 
that's all gone now. The, the changes to the game, the first thing that they did was they reduced the amount of, of player characters, pods that can be boosted at one time from unlimited, which it had been before, to 25. That's a massive, major change of the game. It's going to have an instant impact on the meta. We had our last uh, Raven boost fleet last Tuesday where we got completely decimated by Horde, which we'll get into my, my point later in the show about why this wasn't necessary. Uh, but these types of fleets are now no longer a thing. In addition to the to the boost changes, which were pretty significant, the other thing, major change of the NullSec meta that we saw was the reduction in the six uh, re resolution increase, actually, I should say, for bosons. Boson is the, is the area of effect weapon on a Titan. It was primarily used to kill big fleets. We would put them on gates and delve and just massacre anything that would come in. But it was also a primary way for Titans to be used as ratting ships. You'd go into a rock haven, you point your bosun, you let it go, and you would just kill wave after wave of rats very quickly. And in five minutes, you can clear a site and move on to the next one. That's not the case anymore. These changes have completely nullified that ability. If you go into a, a rock haven now and try to bosun it, you won't kill the first wave, which totally reduces the, the amount of time that's going to take you, uh, or totally reduces the amount of money that you can make by increasing the amount of time it's going to take you to do that. So that's a major change to the NullSec meta as well, and will ha should have an impact on IS faucets. There was a reduction to Dromi and stand-up Dromi fighters. Uh, their web amount is reduced from 15% to 10%, and Dromi 2 and stand-up Dromi's web amount was reduced from 20% to 15%. Dromi's are a, a key fighter. They're used to web, and that's one of the one of the main reasons why uh, you can you, you get to stop a lot of the bad stuff going on when you are in a super carrier. You're able to lock ships down, finally get DPS on them, and make it possible to kill those ships. It's a little bit harder to do that with the Dromi changes. That also was an impact to Snatch and, and, and Stuka fleets because we would primarily target those ships first because those are the ones that were going to kill all of our command destroyers. They were going to lock those down and let the bigger ships take them out. Finally, uh, the Ansiblex Jump Gate and Tenebrex Sino Jammers have been moved at least 500 kilometers away from the nearest upwell structure. That's a major change for NullSec as well. Primarily what you would see is in a lot of these situations you would have these types of, of gates and, and bridges would be anchored on a Keepstar grid. They could be defended by the Keepstar, made it very, very difficult for anybody to take those out. And that change, this new change, is going to be beneficial because I think we're finally going to get to see some fights on those upwell structures and outside of the Keepstar grid. But that's a major change to, uh, to the game and to the meta, and that's why we're bringing it up. So overall, for the most part, I think most of these changes are okay. I've never been a Titan Rat fan. I think, frankly, uh, having those big ships, you, those are not ships that you want for ratting. At the same time, you want those ships to be out fighting because then they're targets. So I can see both sides to the issue there, but I understand if, if your issue is about ISK velocity, you want to reduce the amount of ISK entering the game, take the biggest ships off the table, and then it happens. So I can understand that. But for me, as a line member in, in it, I have flown on more Snatch fleets and more Stuka fleets in the last two years than anything else. And these changes to those types of fleets kills that meta which is frustrating to me, and it's going to require our guys to go off and figure out what we're going to do. Most likely, we'll end up in T3Cs because those are the only things that are that are movable in the same way that Snatch was, but it's not going to be the same. And I think uh, that that's a major change, especially in an era where we're trying 
to find ways to fight under super cap umbrellas. We just took a major tool out of the tool chest to do that with these changes. So I'm not a huge fan. But at that point, I'm off my soapbox. That was my top story of the week was the November changes. I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. And Mittens, take it away. All right, boys and girls. So uh, let me make sure I'm doing this right. I am doing this right. Excellent. Uh, this is, as you know, our second episode of the revamped Meta Show format, and uh, we're usually going to be starting the, these things off with uh, Brisk and I each get our, our soapboxes and the things that we want to talk about uh, each week before we go into uh, the next segment. Um, what I'd like to talk about in general is conflict and conflict drivers. Uh, I, I saw a, a number of things that I, I liked about the tweaks in this patch, uh, sort of paradoxically. I, I, one of the things that I took away from my Vegas experience uh, and just talking to players outside of the Imperium is, is that a lot of times people seem to think that I am uh, against certain types of nerves. Also, I can hear you keying up, Brisk, sorry. Uh, I, I, so things like, let's talk about Keepstars being able to guard jump bridges, right? Like, I, I think it is ridiculous that we ended up in a scenario where Keepstars could guard jump bridges, right? And I'm glad that that got changed. Um, and we just got a little Zoom notice that's gone away. We're good. Bear with me here, guys. I need to gear up to a proper conflict driver rant. I was asked today on the fireside, and I get asked this a lot, about when's the next war, and what are we going to be doing about war? And one of the things that I'm going to be asking our guests about later in the show, and just sort of a central issue, I believe, in EVE Online, uh, is the decline of conflict drivers. Uh, people use the phrase conflict drivers a lot. Uh, there have been a number of conflict drivers over the history of the game, but the big ones uh, were always uh, moons back in the day where you could have what was called passive moon mining now, where you would put a player-owned starbase, a POS, on a moon, and you'd be able to extract moon goo. Usually R64s were the good ones, or Technetium from R32s, things like that. Uh, and there were changes to, to EVE when Citadels were introduced, and we have these refining arrays that allow us to frack Moongu, uh, and then we have to mine it ourselves. And I saw this as a good thing, and I advocated strongly for um, getting rid of passive mining in any way, and I thought that uh, this new system was better. Uh, and I'm coming around to the idea that I might be wrong. Uh, in fact, I might be desperately, utterly wrong about all the things that I've said in the past about uh, the Moon system changing to what it is today. Um, I have seen in terms of war planning and through the history of EVE, there are various phases in conflicts when player empires go at it and what leads to a big war. And one of those key phases is slap fighting over R64s. It's something that smaller entities could do that they didn't require an engagement of a block. And when the blocks were not fighting each other, uh, there was always something going on because it was profitable and it was reasonable for people to take R64s or try to take R64s from you. Uh, and so you always had something to do something more significant to do than randomly blapping Olmeca Gold and his people who are trying to steal excavator drones, right? So uh, up until the moon changes went through, you would see even in periods of peace, all of the blocks would constantly need to be able to defend their R64s and other moons in their empires, bordering their empires uh, from entities, even like low-sec entities, like Shadow Cartel, Stuffed Out, uh, things like that. So there was this sort of like middle tier of combat that was... Uh, a step between uh, a small-scale slap fight and a full-on block war. So that happened. Another change, of course, that uh, I'm not very happy with is the, the implementation of, uh, we have CCP guests today, so I'll call it Aegisov instead of calling it Fozisov like I normally do. Uh, but 
used to in previous soft systems, there would be single point conflicts where people would end up uh, risking everything and then you'd have these big fights. So the question that I'm asked basically every week on an Imperium Fireside is, uh, when are we going to war next? And one of the challenges that I think that we as a player base face is many of the motives to go to war for ways that benefit your people, for ways that harm your enemy, uh, things that provide an immediate benefit have been gradually removed from the game. And I think that we've gone too far. I, I think that you know safety and stagnation is death. Uh, and the argument around the blackout kind of bothered me because people were talking about hunting this person or hunting that person or like blowing up a rogue wall here or a rogue wall there. But it's really, in my view, this sort of like middle tier of conflict over single point, uh, you know, single point on a grid, there's a, a station or a citadel or something that you're fighting over um, that is gone now, that, that, that middle area doesn't exist. And so those fights aren't happening. And so we're seeing small level, small scale tactical combats across EVE, and those are not graduating to full-blown wars. And that was sort of an important phase. Before you would uh, you would go to serious warfare, you would test the enemy's defenses by trying to take their moons away, and that would be a way to see whether your fleet could beat their fleet, whether the war was viable, uh, and sort of test things out before you went whole hog into uh, a full-blown war. Um, so that, you know, we did see some single point conflicts uh, in the last year or two. Instead of moons, we started going after keep, star keep stars, but that was just something to give the Titan fleet something to do in many ways. So you saw blocks fighting over keep stars, and now we find ourselves in this difficult situation at the galactic level uh, where I think there's not enough conflict drivers, and I think that there isn't enough scarcity. So the motivation to go to full scale block war. Um, those sort of stepping stones of conflict uh, isn't really there. And my view is that we need to try to find a way to dial things back. Um, I, I don't think it's cool to rule over a dead galaxy. I don't think that there is any scenario where stagnation for the blocks is good. Uh, and I don't know how we're going to get to that point. I mean, people have advocated a return to some sort of passive moon mining scenario. The reason why passive moon mining, to explain for people who don't know, the reason why passive moon mining is important in terms of conflict is this. Uh, if you right now were to take a moon from the Imperium, like on one of the outlying areas of our space, you blow up one of our refining platforms and you put down your own, uh, you're going to have to wait like 56 days of holding that before you can frack it at a reasonable value and get something from it. Uh, back in the day with passive moon mining, you would take a moon from somebody and then pretty rapidly you would make up the cost of blood and treasure expended in getting it and you could get sort of an hourly uh, extraction of moon goo from it. So that's one of the reasons why the modern moons are not a conflict driver. You can take them away from the enemy, but you don't generate anything of value from it unless you hold it for a long period of time. Uh, so that's going to be reflected in a lot of the questions I'm going to be asking uh, Rise and Larrikin, who have been so kind as to join us today. Uh, and that's my little rant today is uh, I would like us to find ways to discuss conflict drivers and getting that kind of middle tier stepping stone between small-scale tactical actions and large-scale block warfare, what do we as a player base need to do? What do, what do the developers think uh, as to get us back to that golden age of war and murder? So that's my rant. And a wonderful rant it was. And so what we're going to do now is we are going to go into the NullSec Power Hour, where we will be joined by CCP Rise and CCP Lyric. And here we go. Gentlemen, 
Welcome to the Meta Show. It's good to have you guys on. Well, it's great to be here, Brisk. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thanks for the invite. I'm glad we get Thanks. you guys on camera so we can see your lovely faces today. That's very makes me very happy. And before we get started, one thing I do want to say is I want to say congratulations to everybody out there. We did hit the $1,000 goal today. That is a goal. That is not the top end. So if any of you guys still want to donate, you have plenty of time on the rest of the show. But uh, thanks to everybody that has donated. So we're here. We have two of the most storied developers, in my opinion, in the game, both of whom were players before they started playing. CCP Rise was well known as Kill 2. CCP Larrikin was well known as Dark Razor. These guys were players. They came, they joined CCP, and now they're out there uh, with us helping to develop the game. So thank you guys both here for being with us, and I'll let Matani kick it off with our, uh, our first question. Okay, uh, before I get to that, uh, I need to thank all the people who subscribed uh, because we're doing the sexual thing. So we had uh, Heidi uh, ZXC, we had Dragon Zero, John Hartley, 34 months, Carnero, 61 months, Willemark Tourist, Sally Salomon, what up, Sally, uh, Final Praetorian, Silex B, Sidath, I can't pronounce that right, Apple Pear, of course. And uh, I want to congratulate everybody for hitting our goal. Uh, for the charity stream in the early phases of the show. We gave shout outs for that in chat, but it was a cool thing that happened and I appreciate uh, that so much. And uh, it's all going to the Gamers Outreach Foundation. So with that, uh, I think uh, Brisk actually has the uh, the first question. Do I get the Rise. first question? Oh, this uh, is great. Yeah, involving right. Team Talos. Exciting. So, all right, so Rise, you were in Vegas and, and we had a chance to talk and one of the things that, you, that was basically announced at Vegas was that you were gonna be heading up uh, Team Talos. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that started, what, what's what's involved in it, what Team Talos is, and, and, and what your resources are? <clears throat> sure. Uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, coming out of summer where there was a whole lot going on at a really fast pace, uh, chaos era, trying to really shake things up in EVE uh, in a lot of different areas, or at least, um, you know, in a lot of different feature areas back to back to back we realized we really and we've kind of known this for a while we tried a few times before to have a team that can pivot really quickly depending on what the needs are since there is a lot of you know short-term evolution in the game that we need to address pretty regularly uh and so uh coming out of the summer we're like this we don't have a way to do this sustainably uh so let's put it put it into the structure more explicitly so we have a team now team talos that is meant to do exactly that and then uh, kind of as we started talking about what the team's going to be for and what we hope to accomplish it, it it turned into a lot of discussion about how like people um you know need to be able to look forward to updates that are relevant and challenging and keep them sort of in a state of of having new problems to solve and having uh you know things for for established players to think about and, and work on all the time. So our mission is, is not only to be able to pivot to strategic needs as they come up quickly, but also just to make sure that there's stuff happening at a consistent pace that keeps um, people engaged and excited about, you know, figuring out what ship's best to fly or um, whatever it is, whatever, you know, whatever we think is the, the most valuable way to get people, uh, yeah, solving new problems, basically. So how many people so are on the team? Yeah, there's, so there's, for now at least, there's like four and a half. We have uh, me, CCP Master Plan, um, CCP Paradox, and then like CCP Trash Heap or something. I can't ever remember his, his dev name, but uh, basically a, a super veteran, um, awesome old school engineer 
an, an old school QA engineer who's doubling as our producer, another QA, and then a uh, uh, we have halftime from Mr. Larrikin here to do analytics, which is really exciting trying to combine more like direct data gathering and analysis with the stuff we're doing. Uh, is is the that, team uh, direct? I mean, is this their is this their main job? Sorry, Vince. Is this their main job, or, or are they are they on other teams as well, and they're also designated with Talos? No, this is it's only this. Okay. We're still in the middle of transition right. a little bit. Uh, Master Plan's still tying up some stuff with what he was working on in five O before, but this is one hundred percent Talos full time. God, I'm uh, delighted to hear that uh, Master Plan is on the team. I didn't realize that uh, he was, and that's uh, great news for everyone. Um, I want to throw a question uh, in Larrikin's direction uh, here as well because of all of the presentations that he's been doing about data analytics uh, that were fascinating at Vegas. Uh, and so um, let me preface this, and I, I want to give Larrikin an opportunity to sort of provide some context for people who aren't like super plugged into, hey, this thing happened in the CSM minutes and, and blah, blah, blah. But diving into the weeds here, uh, we found out most recently from the, the CSM summit minutes that were published before Vegas, uh, that a number of uh, Goonsworm representatives uh, to the CSM were actually flagged under CCP's internal metrics as being high sec players primarily. Uh, and this is something that uh, was a topic of great concern, the idea that because of, I don't know, like market alts or something other like that, null sec players are being mistakenly flagged by CCP's internal metric system as uh, being in high sec, like if you had a G to alt all the time, uh, up and running all the time while you're playing other things. Uh, so I wanted to give uh, Larrikin an opportunity to address this and maybe talk about uh, if changes have been made to uh, better flag players, what's been done, and if you have made changes to your internal metric systems uh, for identifying what type of players a player are, uh, how can you uh, know essentially whether uh, your metrics are more accurate now than they were before? So if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So to just give a little bit more text, um, it was in regards to talking about the effect of blackout on, on you guys, the players. Um, and one of the things uh, we looked at was the activity by um, by where people are playing. And we looked at a bunch of different things. We looked at just the total amount of time uh, that characters spend online in, in null, low sec, high sec, et cetera. Um, but we also looked at, at what we internally call primary play area. Um, and that's a measure of just how long someone spends across all of their characters um, when they aren't away from the keyboard, when they're actively engaging in the game uh, in different types of space. And uh, the CSM questioned whether that was 100% accurate. It most definitely is not 100% accurate, quite well aware of that, and we don't use it in isolation. Um, actually, there's a, for the statistical nerds out there, there's a, a pretty famous uh, quote, which is, uh, all models are incorrect, but some models are useful. And this is a classic case of that. It's definitely incorrect, but it still can be useful. Um, but we went and checked. We looked at all of the, the members of the CSM and found out where they're primarily active. and. Um, for example, Dunk Dinko is almost 100% active in, in NullSec, uh, but Aerith is about sort of 70% active in HighSec and um, about 30% active in NullSec. So for some days, he's actually counted as a, for this one particular measure, he's counted as a HighSec player. Um, <clears throat> we're aware of these downfallings of the model, and that's, that's okay. Uh, we don't use it in isolation. We use a lot of different and indicators to try and build up a full picture of player behavior. Um, 
And so, yeah, we're looking at trying to refine this and make this one particular model a little bit more accurate. But as I said, it's, it's one in many that we look at. Um, and yeah, it, nothing we will ever do will get a perfect representation of where a player considers that they live. Um, even if we ask them, some players will lie to us. So looking at just their activity, this gives us a, a somewhat correct model of it. I do have a, a follow-up question on that. Uh, you know, a lot of our audience are primarily like NullSec players uh, here on the Meta Show. Uh, and I don't know, I, I saw that a while ago you had posted a comment on Reddit about this, but I was wondering if you could give us a sense from an updated perspective based on what you now know, approximately how much of the player base percentage-wise is NullSec player. Um, well, so we do not have anything where player is classified player or not we just we don't classify our players like that um, it's not actually generally very useful um, but what I can say is um, somewhere around the sort of 30 to 40 percent mark are people who spend the majority of their time in NullSec um, but then if you look at people who spend any time in NullSec that jumps to around about the 40 percent uh, closer to the 40 percent uh, so that that's going to include people that just roam there for a couple of hours a day and spend them most of their time in wormholes or something else or uh yeah that makes perfect sense uh awesome thank you brisk uh you... i wanted to get back with with fries to talk a little bit more about team talus because I, I think we're all very excited about the fact that we finally have a balance team but i'm hoping that you guys are not just you know ship balance but you're also game balance so I want to talk about resources. Are you guys going to have the resources to do any like in-depth game design type stuff? Or are you guys going to be focusing mainly on the short-term two-week, three-week iteration type things that you talked about in Vegas? I mean, we want to be able to stay really nimble. So we probably won't take on... I don't see us doing something like some of these big projects, like a complete uh, redo of Faction Warfare or a complete... Uh, new type of space like wormholes was like that that type of project is definitely going to be out of our scope because it would just bog us down for too long um but uh one thing that's much different from a purely ship balance team is that we are absolutely going to be uh trying to make changes uh, you know all over the anything that that matters in terms of challenging people and giving them something to look forward to which includes all kinds of stuff so changes to faction warfare like changing mission payouts or putting back gate sliding or um, changes to structure mechanics and the way that, that they work or, or even changes to NPCs and the way anomalies work. Like any of this stuff is totally on the table for us as long as it doesn't mean taking on some giant four-month project that makes us go missing for a long time. And actually, there's a whole lot we can do underneath that. I'm pretty excited about the opportunity to iterate on these big projects, um, follow up in small kind of tweak type ways to improve... Um, improve them. I think we've seen kind of lately uh, a random example, but the uh, shipyard change was an example of a really small change that, that had a really big impact on the way the dynamics work around, um, you know, the Blood Raider shipyards. And, and that, I think, is what we want to be looking for. You know, how can we make surgical small two to four week scope changes that have pretty far reaching impact on experience without getting, yeah, buried in, in huge, huge projects. Gotcha. And if I can just ask one more question, and then we'll get into what we were talking about before. I mean, one of the things that that Matani and I have been talking about have been talking about for a while, uh, and one of the things he mentioned in his in his rant this in, in this morning was our concerns about 
conflict drivers and 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 especially in Nullsec and, and, and the fights between empires and, and those types of things. This is the meta show we talk about Nullsec politics. I want to take us up to like the 30,000 foot level and just ask, just based on your playing in the game, based on what you've seen since you've been at CCP, can you can you give us an idea? Why do you think player empires fight each other? What's the purpose of it? And do you think it's happening enough? And and no. what happens what happens when a person dies? And you know what uh, what makes art beautiful? Uh, I didn't say you're going to get easy it's, questions. It's, <laughs> I never promised you an easy question. question I think it's a mix of stuff. I think uh, a lot of the reasons for for at that scale are more social. They're they're about cultural difference or about ego or about greed or about um, competition. Like I think there's there's a lot of stuff at that scale that is that is pretty separate from strict mechanics um but of course also pursuit of wealth and uh you know um climbing climbing the sort of mechanical ladder to be you know the the richest or um to pursue income or resources has it has a factor but i mean there's and it's going to vary so much from war to war i mean if you look back at uh the you know like maybe the casino war world war b i, I want to be offensive if i can but if you like why did that happen like uh just sort of for you know out of total ego right trying to take down whoever was biggest for the sake of it not because there was any need to gain wealth or or pursue some new resource it was it was purely social and i think you like at least a lot of the time at the scale where those wars happen that's that's the motivator and Actually, I'm really excited. I don't know if I'll get the chance in the near future, but I love the idea of trying to reinforce those social motivations a lot more, um, create reasons for people to hate other people in game so that when you have two groups of 20,000, a grudge can develop at sort of and be supported by the mechanics in the game. Um, I think we've found over the last uh, several years that you know, the ability to cooperate and, and kind of see through cultural difference to work together for wealth is really powerful. And we need to make sure that we're giving incentives in the game for people to to have better, you know, we need to create trust relationships that can get broken where people betray each other. We need to uh, create more identity uh, for people who live in different ways or play in different styles. You look at how wormholers and nullseckers think of each other, and I see a lot of promise there for conflict because they don't really understand each other. There's kind of this resentment about like, you know, nullseckers don't understand the work where molars have to do. And that breeds the kind of conflict that leads to really large scale wars, in my opinion. And so we should think about that a lot more, you know, when we're designing new mechanics or, because um, it all emerges from that originally, at least. I have, blabbing. like, so many follow-ups on this one. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I'd like to... Uh, I appreciate you giving that insight. And, and you know, one of the, the challenges I think that uh, developers like Rise might have uh, is, you know, the answer to sort of these existential questions of, like, why player empires fight. Uh, you know, it depends war to war, and it's really more like the autocrats that I think uh, are going to be better able to speak to the specific motivations. But in, in general... Uh, 
I obviously, from the rant that I just went on at the start of the show, think that uh, conflict drivers, which is a bit more specific from like a, a gameplay, game design perspective, uh, do play a large part into it. Because at the end of the day, the excuse that you're going to war, in, in my view, doesn't really matter because the fun is once you have the casus belli, I always mispronounce it. Uh, it's been a long time since I took Latin, cases belly, casus belly, whatever. Once you have a bloody shirt to wave around, the excuse is to mash a bunch of spaceships together. And one of the issues that I see right now is that we have lots of tactical combat in EVE. Uh, when I say tactical, I mean like small scale kind of stuff. Maybe one fleet mashes into one fleet. And uh, I would like to see conflict drivers added to the game that inspire us to mash multiple fleets together. Maybe not... 5,000 people, but at least a couple of different fleets bashing together on a grid. Uh, and I'd like to uh, put Rise on the spot here again. We'll have more questions for Larica in a second. But uh, uh, in general, if you could just talk about your view of conflict drivers as they stand currently, what you would like to see as conflict drivers. And if you think I'm completely wrong about the moon thing, like go nuts. I'd just like to get your perspective on how you see conflict drivers, what they could be, what they've been in the past, where they went wrong. Go nuts. Uh, I don't think you're completely wrong about the moon thing, but I don't think that it has to be about moons. Like when you were talking about it and, and kind of the need for passive moon specifically to exist uh, so that there's this um, point of value that's specific that people can fight over. It, it feels to me like plenty of things could be swapped in there. The point is that there needs to be something that has like really clear stakes uh, that, that provides value really quickly when won and that everyone understands that and can engage in conflict over it. And we've been talking about this a ton and I, I really, really want to take steps to improve this. You know, going back to the 30, like you were saying, the motivation for war is is easy to find. It's easy to find people who dislike each other. It's easy to find entertainment in war. The problem is when the mechanics we have make it not worth it to follow those motivations because they're so gummy and, and awkward. And uh, we're really, definitely interested in trying to work on this i think there's two big angles happening right now internally one is focused on scarcity and resources and what um, resource distribution looks like this is going to be a huge part of uh like the creative vision and and kind of um just design vision for where we're going over the next couple of years i think is looking at what scarcity and resource distribution and kind of the the base you know geography and nature of eve looks like and then the other angle is is what you're talking about, the mechanics around the points of conflict themselves. Um, I've been uh, discussing a lot lately with other designers internally and with the CSM um, how, you know, to the R64s you're talking about right now, a lot of the, the, the things that should be points of conflict, there's a big uh, disconnect between the stakes and the commitment level. So you have... Um, you know, pretty low stakes. I think that's a big problem with structures. There isn't a lot on the line either for the winner or the loser. They're cheap to throw down and then you don't get much for taking them. Um, but the work to clear them out is pretty heavy. So that that kind of investment versus return balance feels off. And we could change that. We could easily make it so that, uh, you know, people have talked about asset safety a lot. I think it's connected to this discussion, but we could say, for instance, that to put a structure online, you need to put a chip in it that costs three billion isk, and when you kill it, it drops, and the people who killed it take it. And we already then have some like tangible stakes that don't exist. That's a really crude design, but this is missing, I think. People have to do it for the sake of the kill mail for the most part, which is not all that valuable. Um, that, and that, actually, that actually applies to like something you talked about earlier, Mins, which was moon mining. 
like this 52 day cycle if on the on day 53 you could swoop in and destroy the structure and steal all of the resources that are just being mined there would be a fantastic project a conflict driver right i'd love to speak and then the the other side of this and this is to as as much as i understand your frustration brisk this is sort of to the booshing part is that the the amount of commitment people have to make to conflicts when they go for them is is just really random there's some things like siege um Rorqual's, uh freighters looting blood uh, shipyards now where the commitment level is really high which is awesome because then that's an incentive for the next person to get involved but there's others like uh like infinitely moving ravens around a citadel grid where there's literally no commitment level whatsoever and this the arrangement of this is just basically random across the game like the the amount you stand to gain and the amount you have to put on the line to get it is just completely disconnected so we're talking a lot about how to go through and make like more intentional escalation chains in what has to be invested towards earning some reward at a conflict driver um structures are the most obvious place to me to try and work on this but there's lots of areas where i think it's available moons could be one um and even even normal ratting for instance could be one well, just to, to your point about the, the infinitely moving Raven fleet, and I understand the concern that some folks had uh, about Let's Ravens on a Keepstar grid. No, no, seriously. I understand that. I understand the concern. Now, granted, I'll tell you right now, other than us and one or two of the wormhole groups, nobody was able to really successfully make that Raven thing a standard doctrine that worked every time. In fact, even even the, the second time we did it, we got completely owned by, uh, by NC Dot. So there were ways to kill the thing off. I understand if, if that was your concern, I would have loved to have seen some kind of a mass limit or something on the MJD so that you couldn't do the big fleets. But my biggest issue, and I, and I said this in the rant, and I'll say it while you're here and you can yell at me, is these changes had zero impact on small gang guys. Those guys can keep doing what they were doing. They can go out, they can spearfish, they can grab all their excavators all they want. Whatever. They can use their, their boosters to get folks off a grid quick when they want to run away. The big fleets, the big nullsec fleets, the 100-man Stukas, the 150-man Gokus, the 200-man Snatch fleets that were going out and getting certain types of content that they couldn't otherwise get and couldn't stay on grid with a super cap umbrella, that's gone. And I get, I get frustrated as a line member in a, in a big group that we're constantly seeing changes that are designed to benefit small gang PvP at the expense of large fleet fights. And this was just another example of that. Now, Stukas are gone. Gokus are gone. We're going to have to come up with a new system. I'm sure we'll, you know, we adapt or die. That's what we do. But it, it was engaging gameplay that was fun, that actually could get the job done, and it was taken away. I and mean, that I would be, me. I would certainly love to hear about more examples where, large fleets have suffered at the cost of small game design, but we can leave that to the side for now. <laughs> uh, I mean, mostly what I would say is that I think that the, the timing is a little awkward because, because it was one of the kind of most attractive ways to fight under umbrellas. But the umbrellas are a problem. Like, we need to deal... Correct. It, need, it needs to be possible for subcaps to matter on grid um, in a world where there's hundreds of titans owned by many alliances, and that should not be solved by this bizarre infinite movement mechanic for fleets. And, you know, I, I think you can make a really strong argument that we should, we could have waited until the, the issue of umbrellas relative to subcaps was solved before making a change to boosters. But, um, you know, we've been having this conversation, as you know, as a member of the CSM for more than two years now about 
uh, how oppressive this feels to people who have to fight it. And um, we came across a change that that uh, makes that behavior feel a lot more healthy to fight against. And we just need to also deal with the umbrella part so that this isn't the only option you have. So um, let's talk about the umbrella part. Yeah, I got one uh, one here uh, to follow up on Brisk's follow-up, uh, which is we had a variety of questions regarding Supercaps uh, planned, and uh, this just came up, so we're going we're gonna to dive into this here. Um, but as a preface to the question, you know, the position of Goonswarm forever since the very first Titan was uh, crapped out into the world was basically death to all Supercaps. Like, even though the Imperium has the strongest pile of Supercarriers and Titans that has ever been assembled in the game, uh, you know, I've always believed as a newbie-oriented organization in our society that subcapitals are really the, the basis of all combat in EVE, and I, my personal, you know, I don't think we'll ever see Supercaps deleted. Uh, takings are very dangerous for game companies to do, but there have been phases in EVE's history where you didn't have to worry about a Titan, like, blapping an afterburning rifter. Uh, and, you know, I think that supercapitals should require subcapital support as sort of the, the fundamental unit of warfare in EVE. Uh, but I wanted to give you guys an opportunity, both of you, uh, to sort of talk about how you feel uh, about the way that supercaps are currently and what role that they might play in a revised worldview. Uh, and th there is a particular nuance here on this that I need to address, otherwise some of my people who ask this question will uh, be very unhappy, uh, is, you know, with the way that they are currently, it's not just that they can impact subcapitals, but it's also a scenario where there's really no reason currently to bring a carrier instead of a supercarrier. There's a tremendous amount of, like, role overlap between supercarriers and carriers, which sort of goes into this, uh, you know, what are they for? Why wouldn't you just bring as many super caps as you can? Uh, so if you could just talk for a while about your view of super capitals and where they should be. Pooper, you want me to go and then you clean it up or vice versa? <laughs> you, yeah, you, you start by filling this one, mate. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, <clears throat> simple version is uh, we're not happy, uh, obviously. There's big issues all over the place right now because of super caps and how many there are. Um, you know, we got here by trying to make sure that they delivered on sort of uh, being aspirational and being the sort of big fantasy achievement for people. And so it's delicate now because we don't want to take that away. Like you say, it's it's pretty crappy to say you can look forward to this this super awesome goal and you spend year working on it or whatever and then um, have it taken away from you. And we're not interested in doing that. We want them to deliver on that fantasy still. So um, we're trying to figure out how we can work our way back to where there is uh, a role that delivers on that, but doesn't feel so oppressive towards both uh, normal caps, like you're talking about, and towards subcaps. The most basic version of the vision um, right now is that uh, supers and titans would be would have some unique forms of utility. I don't know if they will have all the forms they have now, but you know would have some form of uh, doomsdays or, or other utility that they perform, but then otherwise would be uh, the best platform, the best anti-capital and anti-structure platforms, and then normal capitals would be where anti-subcapital stuff was happening. Um, so you would have, and like, you, like at the moment, for the most part, normal capitals are in an okay space relative to subcapitals. And um, so, if we could kind of create more focus around that, and then make it that super caps were a response to a normal capital escalation. That feels like a pretty good direction to go. Um, I don't think it's super easy to get there. And um, 
it may be, you know, I know I actually heard Asher saying from you guys that he would like a world where um, supers and titans were, were kind of a non-scaling utility option. So they do something to the grid where once you have one of them, it's done. Um, whether that's a battering ram for citadels or some, um, some you know, super gang link or something like that. But like where you have one and that's it so that we don't have any kind of you know, N plus one scaling with supers, maybe someday it, it, it becomes clear that that's just has to be part of the equation, but I don't think so to begin with. I think we can try and get to a place where they have an anti-capital and anti-structure role and where across the board, there's more commitment needed. So escalation is more likely and that will make it so that uh, hopefully they aren't the answer to everything all the time. Well, Eric, well, you were involved in the, in the original, uh, creation of the cap meta, right? So can you talk a little bit about your view on the same thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I, I think what CZB Rise uh, has said is a good start, but I think it's going to be a long iterative process. Um, like this isn't going to be a, oh, look, we've, we've, we've made some changes um, to reduce the amount of damage that Titans and Supercapitals can apply to subcaps. And, and now there's a separation of roles there and, oh, look, we're done. I think that the power of capitals ties so much into um, large-scale conflict, and that that also applies to the mobility and how the mobility affects subcaps as well. That um, this is just going to have to be a long iterative um, process where we see how you guys use them in practice. Um, I, I don't really want to say a lot more than that because uh, I'm not the one that actually has to go to implement it. So I don't want to make promises <laughs> that CCP Rise can't deliver on. Or someone else. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, one, one more question before I hand it back to Mittens. Rise, just, just specifically on this on this issue, since we, we, you know, obviously we think the super cap thing is a big deal and, and the capital meta is a big deal. Is that something Talos is going to be able to tackle? Are you guys going to be able to do any of that? Or is that going to have to be another team? I mean... Yeah, we're, we're chipping away at it now. You see the Jeremy change and the boson change. That's us. Um, there will be more stuff at that kind of scale that we can do across the whole ecosystem. I think also, you know, uh, along with this, it doesn't have to always be super caps getting worse so that everything else gets better. It can be things like the heavy bombs we talked about at Vegas that let super or let sub caps fight up more effectively so that if you, you know, if you're too eager and not careful enough about fielding your super fleet, you get punished by subcaps. I think there's options there. That's also totally within our purview on Talos. Um, and something else I think that's, that's kind of going a whole other direction, but um, uh, just in, in terms of the umbrella and the way that, you know, like uh, Larrikin just said, the fact that it's kind of the fastest way to respond is with the super fleet. Um, we can probably do more things to uh, control kind of the rate at which uh, engagements escalate. Um, you know, a, a super extreme example that I also mentioned in Vegas is, oh, we have a Sov region now that's Sino jammed or that doesn't have supers allowed in it for some reason. Uh, and we can do we can do things like that, create specific environments, whether it's around certain resource gathering or around certain kinds of objectives where um, we just either change or restrict parts of the ecosystem in some way. We say there aren't supers or supers are worse or doomsdays don't exist or whatever in this particular environment so that we can feel around for environments that are healthier. 
I think that's a fantastic idea. Uh, I, I need to segue us briefly. So we've got a couple different things we need to do on the show. We're going to be keeping Rise and Larrikin with us. Uh, we have to hit on uh, one, our new news section called Piercing the Corporate Veil. Uh, we're going to be talking about G-Star. We're going to be headed out in a moment. Uh, and we also need to go into cool kids mode. So while Brisk presses the button to take us to our new segment, I will send us into cool kids mode here in chat. And we're back. Welcome and to our also, new segment. Hell yeah. Um, so a couple different things. We're in cool kids mode. With, so that means uh, we take questions from the audience. Uh, and we will then, basically what we're going to be doing is taking your questions, picking the ones that are not ridiculously offensive. Hopefully they aren't ridiculously offensive. And then uh, asking the devs who have been so kind as to join us on this. Uh, Brisk, do you want to, uh, I, I don't know on the segment on this, if I'm supposed to be talking about what happened to G-Star, if you're supposed to be talking about, what are we doing? What's even happening? I think we can both talk about it. But I think one of the things we wanted to at least point out is that, you know, uh, the launch of the Korean localization happened at G-Star on November 14th. We have some photos. We had, it looked like from what we were seeing from CCP's Twitch stream, as well as from, uh, actually from G-Star's Twitch, as well as from their YouTube and all of the stuff we were coming out of CCP, we had a huge number of people who were interested in the game. Uh, we had one of the top streamers on Twitch. I think the number seven guy was streaming Eve in Korean, and it was a huge deal. Uh, we had Dopamine there on the stage. They got ready to do the launch. It was pretty cool. Uh, and they had done a ton of advertising uh, across uh, G-Star for what was going on. We had Drifters outside. And everybody was seeing what was going on with Eve, which was pretty cool. And of course, at the end, I had to throw this in, and it was there, and we were representing. So there you go. That's so it was great. So I think I, I'm very excited, and I wanted to talk to ask Larrikin and Rise if they have seen any of the preliminary numbers. How is it looking with our new Korean player base uh, now that the localization has launched? It's looking real good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have a lot of new people uh super exciting i've heard only good things from the team that's over there uh in korea at g-star and the the numbers reports i get in the morning are looking uh super encouraging so it's very exciting very good yeah i'm uh we saw that also i was talking about this on the fireside today actually just before the show uh you know we noticed we were looking at eve offline and we can see sort of like the birth of a new time zone right just before downtime there's this huge spike as it's like 7 p.m uh in uh, the major cities in Korea. And you can sort of see there is like their weekend prime time. You can just see a ton of players coming in. Uh, and of course, we're trying to recruit as many as we can into the Imperium because, you know, more sand, sandbox and hell yeah, let's do this. Uh, so all the indications that we've seen so far uh, are awesome. And uh, I think it's just fantastic use of the game all the way around. Let me see. Hang on a second here, guys. Um, Oh, there was also a 20%, I think Noisy Gamer had uh, noticed this on Twitter, uh, that there was a 20% in the amount of people killed in HiSec yesterday, and that this was uh, directly correlated to the huge influx of people uh, from the uh, the Korean uh, localization event. So that's just fantastic news all around. You know, if we can get that Twitter linked, but yeah. Uh, so let's go back to some of the questions for the devs, please. If people have questions for the devs, uh, drop them in chat here, and I will be going through here uh, to try to ask them. Um, 
one question that I'd like to do as a preface while I, I compile this, and this uh, might be more of a Larrikin question than a Rise question, but we'll see. Uh, you guys are constantly in the scenario where you are making changes to the game. And then in the aftermath, there's a question of, did the change work? And I was wondering if uh, there was like a, a database system for this, or if it's just a judgment call. Once you guys do something, how do you kind of close the loop and tell whether you think it worked or didn't? Like, how are you judging success or failure after uh, tweaking aspects of the game? If, if either of you could speak to that, I think it would be fascinating. Yeah, this, uh, this is actually um, more to do with Rise, but I'll, I'll, I'll take first pass at it. Um, most uh, changes to the game, most features, uh, balance passes, whatever, will have some goals defined before the design is even um, even made. And, and that's an important part of the design process. Without knowing what your goals are, it's very difficult to design for a, a solution. Um, and part of that uh, process, the team uh, with this uh, feature will come and talk to the analytics group and we will come up with some sort of way of measuring the success or failure of that then the change gets made it gets deployed and then we monitor it and report back to the team about whether it was a success or failure so sometimes that can uh the goals can be simple we just we want to see more new players playing more often um sometimes it can be a little more bit more complex we want to see uh uh, a healthier balance of is coming into the economy. Okay, well, how do we define healthy? What's what's bad and what's good? And honestly, sometimes the answer to this is like we we don't have a good way of measuring whether this change was a success. And so the end result of that is like we're unsure whether that was good or bad. And just to, as a completely random question, because I was thinking about this when we were talking about super caps, because you hear you hear a lot of stuff from the player base constantly. Super cap umbrella is probably the number one complaint everybody has in Nullsec. The number two thing that I hear all the time is Aegisoft, which we talked a little bit about, and I think hopefully at some point you guys can start looking into into a way to make that less of a pain in the butt, because I think that has an impact on on fighting. But the third number one, like third thing, not number one, but number three that we hear all the time is time zone tanking on structures. Is there anything we can do about it? Have you guys looked at this, talked about it? Is there anything we can try to bring up to maybe try to fix this because it really has an impact on fights? Oh, sorry, we're still muted. Um, Brisk, <clears throat> like we said in uh, Vegas, we have a bunch of areas like this, time zone tanking, uh, structures and fighting around structures, faction warfare, some wormhole stuff that we have on a short list of things to do. And I'm hoping that we have a time zone tanking oriented package for you before Christmas. Can't give you any details and I don't know for sure, but it is super close. So hopefully we can begin making improvements to that situation very soon. That's, that, that's good news. That's good news. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, we. We, we want to, I mean, like I told you earlier, um, Master Plan has been transitioning over from the work he was doing before, and we need him. I, I, I you know, it's hard for me if I go into code and start changing something like uh, time zone mechanics, we're going to be in real trouble. Um, I've already, in the interest of our two-week cadence, uh, added a bonus to interceptors, then accidentally deleted it and announced a venture change, which didn't work and had to make it work three days later. So uh, it's good that Master Plan is coming online, but uh, you should start to see some results uh, from having him on board uh, Yeah, before we go on vacation. That is absolutely fantastic news because uh, 
you know, it wasn't something that I, I was talking about earlier with the whole conflict drivers, but I, there are certain things that aren't conflict drivers that are more like uh, conflict eliminators, right? Things that are impediments to conflict, regardless of needing things to fight over, but mechanics or issues that prevent that. And, uh, you know, for people that aren't, aren't clued into the whole time zone tanking issue, way back in the day during POS-based soft warfare and, and POS war, uh, there were mechanics that would allow you to kite towers, basically, and drag them into a time zone outside of the, the, the primary defenders. It was a lot of work. It was a tremendous amount of work to kite a POS, but it could be done. And so that allowed entities that lived in different time zones, different prime times, to be able to go at each other. And one of the changes that took place uh, in the new soft system is that it's much harder to uh, to breach a time zone that you don't live in. Um, so, yeah, that, that's fantastic yeah, I mean, news. That's some know, breaking news right there. I mean, time zone stuff is always... I don't expect us to solve time zone stuff. It's, it's really, really difficult. Um, but like you say, the the most, you know, the, the smoothest we can get it in terms of lowering the barrier to things happening, the happier we're going to be. And everyone uh, agrees that it could be better than it is now. So we're just going to make changes and, and hopefully improve the situation. That's fantastic. That's amazing. So, all right. So next week, for those of you who aren't aware, next Saturday is Eve London. I will be at Eve London. I hope to see you all there. Are either of you guys going to be there? At Eve London? Sorry, not me. Oh, nope. that's too bad. All right, I'm going to miss you guys. They only give me Vegas. I don't know why. I am trying to do my best to find a way to do the meta show from Eve, Eve London, so we will we will hopefully make that happen. If not, uh, we will figure something out, and Matani will be here as always. So we'll figure that, that out. That is awesome. All right, well, gentlemen, I want to thank both of you for being on the show with us today. We're Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, I think this was a pretty pretty explosive show we've got some good news here and uh, i think we had some good conversations so thank you both for joining us and i hope you'll be willing to join us in the future yeah of Absolutely. course it was a pleasure sweet and uh, just before we go we have one last round uh for our we need to make sure that we thank people who have been contributing to the channel especially because we are doing this charity drive uh so new subs while we were uh, in that last segment uh we have uh, cleave steamer we have use bleach uh, the Kid, Seth230, Diesel1975, January Valentine gifting a sub, as well as Brisk himself gifting a sub, and uh, Demon Mark II. So thank you guys for contributing to the channel. We do appreciate it. And uh, we actually have, you know, we're, we're really kind of making this thing up as we go along, but like the new Meta Show team, we have like a credit reel now, which is like super badass. So as we're about to sign off here and say, see y'all next week, we, we actually have like an outro. I'm, I'm just unnaturally pumped about that. I don't know, irrationally pumped. We'll, we'll see how it goes. So thank you all so much for coming, guys, and thank you to our guests. Again, thanks, guys, for joining us, and you stay classy in New Eden. <laughs>